0: Welcome to Inspiration from American History with Rebecca Price Janney. Today's story is called Anything Goes, America in the 1970s. He won the presidency in 1968 after promising a return to law and order in America's streets and an end to the Vietnam War. Just after his second inauguration, Richard Nixon signed the Paris Peace Accord on January 27, 1973. It was an eventful week. Former President Lyndon B. Johnson's weakened heart beat for the last time on January twenty second The man who, during his last years in the White House, had endured a constant barrage of young people shouting, Hey, hey, LBJ, how many kids did you kill today? Died at 64 at his Texas ranch. He looked 20 years older. Former Governor of Texas John Connolly spoke at the burial in the Johnson Family Cemetery near the Pedernales River. He said, along this stream and under these trees he loved, he will now rest, he first saw light here. He last felt life here. May he now find peace here. It seemed for a moment that a frenzied era had ended, that it was time to get on with a new decade. But there was one more significant commotion for Americans to endure before the spirit of the 60s would loosen its tenacious grip. It wasn't until after Nixon's re-election that the bungled Watergate burglary began to touch him personally. One by one, prosecutors picked off some of the president's closest associates, including Chief Counsel Charles Coulson and the man who headed up the committee to re-elect the president, Jeb Stuart Magruder. Throughout the ordeal, Nixon maintained his innocence, declaring, I am not a crook. By the summer of 1974, no one really believed that he hadn't been involved in the cover-up of the break-in at the Democratic Committee headquarters. Rather than face impeachment, Nixon resigned, the first time an American president had stepped down while in office. On August 9, 1974, the new and unelected president, Gerald R. Ford, took the oath of office in a subdued ceremony. In his first speech to the nation, he stated, My fellow Americans, our long national nightmare is over. It may truly be said that at that moment, the 60s had ended and the 1970s began. The country awakened to something along the lines of a national orgy, as many Americans cast off traditional morality like last season's wardrobe, and began doing exactly as they pleased. There was for such people a genuine lack of concern for consequences, either present or future. If most Americans in the 1960s still based their lives at least to some degree on Judeo-Christian morality, that support crumbled in the 70s. That decade and the next witnessed a paradigm shift in worldview from a specific moral base to a pluralistic one, as well as increasing decadence and a crisis of authority. For example, when the Roman Catholic Church said no to artificial birth control, most of its American members said forget it. With abortion becoming legal in 1973, women were able to become more sexually active outside of marriage, apart from the usual consequences. In the me decade, advertisers urged people to have it their way, and to indulge themselves because they were worth it. Instead of seeing themselves as sinners in need of God's grace, many Americans thought of themselves along the lines of a best-selling book, I'm Okay, You're Okay. A spate of other self-help, feel-good books based on all kinds of theories and philosophies, most of them secular, followed. Television and other forms of entertainment pushed the envelope even further than before. Shows that portrayed a cruder and more permissive lifestyle apart from traditional principles enjoyed great success and critical acclaim, including the groundbreaking All in the Family, a spin off called Maud, Three's Company, and Soap. Rock and roll and the new sounds of disco music glorified one-night stands, while anti-god, profane George Carlin, and drug-obsessed Cheech and Chong reveled in the edgier side of humor. Public censors tried to keep the lid on this Pandora's box, but the outcry against them led to looser standards on the public airwaves. A philosophy known as postmodernism began to take hold in mainstream American culture in the early 1970s, and it quickly began to replace time-honored values. While modernists, including pragmatists, had sought the truth in a rational way, postmodernists said truth wasn't something humans could attain, that it was relative. Everything flowed out of the individual's perspective, not from a universal source of truth, and each person's opinion was just as valid as someone else's. In the pluralistic society America had become, the postmodernists thought evangelism was the epitome of arrogance because it promoted the idea that Christianity was more right than other religions. Before this era, Americans used to believe a person could subscribe to universal truth and still allow other people to have their own point of view. Beginning in the 70s, tolerance became mandatory for everyone except those who said there was in fact an objectively right view. In other words, there was no right view except the view that there was no right view. In addition, postmodernists were very big on emotion, since life couldn't be based on reason. They also disdained the idea of human progress, pointing to the sorry history of the 20th century. Two of the main proponents of this system were the French philosophers Jacques Derrida and Michel Foucault. Their viewpoints, aided by a ubiquitous media, eventually filtered down to even the smallest towns in America. Derrida believed truth was simply one person's interpretation against another, while Foucault said all interpretation was fixed by those in power and was an exercise of power. In such a climate, it became very difficult to talk in terms of right and wrong. The concept of biblical authority took a beating, as Americans began to view the Bible as one more book in one more religious tradition among many others. Since truth could not be arrived at, life's real significance, said postmodernists, was in relationships. Paradoxically, American families experienced unprecedented fragmentation during the 70s and afterward. Charles Coulson, who became a Christian and an apologist for the faith in the early part of the decade, said when enough people hold to moral relativity, this line of reasoning produces dramatic results in a nation's public values. And it did. The ways in which Americans thought about heaven and hell began to change profoundly, including a new way of categorizing what happens after death. For example, heaven retained its popularity in this anything-goes era, but beliefs about who was going there and why became progressively universalistic. Part of this shift came because of a changing perception of the nature of God Most Americans rejected the idea of a vengeful deity whom they referred to as the God of the Old Testament with its wars, plagues, and sacrifices, and embraced instead the New Testament God of love and grace. Even the most traditional Christians began to think this way, ignoring that Jesus himself, whom they saw as the personification of love, spoke more about judgment and hell than anyone else in the Bible. Nevertheless, the very idea of a coming judgment no longer captured the beliefs or the attention of the majority of Americans. Two prevalent ideas about life after death one could no longer simply speak in terms of the doctrines of heaven and hell were advanced by a blockbuster movie, a series of books, and the media's reporting of near-death experiences. The film Star Wars appeared in 1977 with its catchphrase, May the Force Be With You. The Force was an impersonal power source, a substitute for the God of the Bible. And when someone died, he became one with it. He also gained the ability to communicate with those who were still alive. According to Obi-Wan Kenobi, a main character in the film, the Force is what gives a Jedi his power. It's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us and penetrates us. It binds the galaxy together. The Force also had a dark side. The Jedi Knight Darth Vader had connected with it and gone bad. Although fictional, the idea of a force appealed to many Americans who found themselves in need of a new concept of God to fit their postmodern lives. For more inspiration from American history, check out my Easton novels about two people who live over 200 years apart, bound together by family ties and a winsome hometown. Thank you for joining me. I'm Rebecca Price Janney.